Cloud and Clear, the podcast by Sada for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Cloud and Clear. Today, my very special guest, Simon Margolis. Thank you. Happy to be here. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. I know that we refer to you as this, and it is true. The founding father of the Google Cloud platform practice at Sada Systems. Yes, it's a big title. Hopefully I do my best to live up to it. <laughs> founding father. It would be funny if we were actually change your title. Like founding father. <laughs> the Vince Cerf. Oh, whoa. Those, are, those are a little too big of shoes for me to fill. <laughs> yeah. No. Hey, everything's relative, right? <laughs> so, you know, not only have you been at Sada for a long time, in various roles, which mm -hmm. obviously we love that story, starting at the help desk mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Uh, how many years has it been now? It'll be eight in a month. Wow, yep. eight years. We've changed a lot uh, as a business. The Google practice has changed a lot. You've evolved a lot. Yep. <laughs> eight years is an eternity in terms of, I think, cloud speed. Yeah. So, But I think because of where you started and also just because of how you got into Google Cloud, when you got into to Google Cloud, I think you bring to the audience a special perspective. Yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, I started, if you recall correctly, I started by saying, why don't we do some type of cloud computing at SADA? Yeah. Um, and this was before Google had a cloud offering. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm glad you pushed back and told me to wait and see what Google might do. Um, but yeah, I mean, from, from the very early days, I realized that people wanted to do this stuff. We had customers that were already interested in cloud technology in general, yeah. using G Suite or Google Apps at the time. And so I thought it just made sense. And I mean, look at, look at where we are now. Um, very glad that we were able to kind of take that on and, and become the, the sort of force in cloud migrations that we became. That's right. No, and, and actually, if you go back far enough, we had ambitions to do something like this back into like the early 2000s. When we, were, when we did take a couple of managed services on-premise customers and moved them to a colo in a data center and surfaced them their applications via terminal server and Citrix, like we always kind of believed, I believe, that that would be a way to scale um, just application delivery. But we found out certainly back then how difficult and expensive that mm -hmm. was. And public cloud certainly wasn't a thing. Virtualization existed. Right. But so we did wait, and then we got super busy with um, other parts of the Google evolution of, the, of their strategy, but also the Microsoft business. We had two, you know, right. two back then. But yes, I, even before GCP and Azure, we did try to either through like Intermedia, one of those hosting companies. You know, we, we thought we could private label this stuff and, right. and deliver it, but nobody quite cracked the code on that at scale, and and. Uh, and of course, Amazon was coming up uh, 10 years ago, sort of starting to enter this infrastructure as a service space. We left that alone for a while. But then lo and behold, you know, Google, I guess both Google and Microsoft wake up to the fact that there's a thing. But they both start off very differently than AWS. Right. They both kind of start first with platform. Right. So the first things we did with Google Cloud was... Only platform. App yeah, Engine. it was just App Engine. Yeah. Yeah. And... In my, you know, eight year or whatever it was, six years ago, and I was naive enough to think that there's no way anybody would ever need anything other than this. Right. You know, App Engine will solve all of the world's problems for every organization that ever needs to take advantage of yep. one. 
Um, cloud native. Everyone's going to be cloud native. Exactly. Just basic. Right. And I think, I, I, if I recall correctly, from one of those very early Next conferences, I remember there was maybe 300 of us in an auditorium in uh, UCSF. Um, but they were talking about the fact that maybe we were a little naive at Google by thinking that everything could be solved by just AppEngine. And this is obviously years after yep. we started here. Um, and maybe we need to meet customers where they are. But if you look at what Google was doing, and you look at what a lot of the startups we worked with in the early days were doing, yeah. AppEngine did meet all their requirements. Yeah. AppEngine was everything. And we still have uh, very sophisticated clients today that are extremely heavily, uh, or make extremely heavy use of, of uh, AppEngine. Yeah. No, I mean, Google, Google has come so so far as to, like, from all the way to App Engine, talking about meeting where customers where they are, like, down, like, App Engine to Anthos. Right, Jesus. right. Like, right. <laughs> you, can, you can have a broader, right. short of producing your own servers and hardware that you would sold to customers, you couldn't come more closer to, to that vision. And I think that's uh, a, a great signal to the market about, the realization and the maturity of, of, of the business at Google and also their vision. So like App Engine to Panthos, I think is a great uh, corollary. Absolutely. Well, it's maturity. important to mention also, I mean, you're making a good point here, but to go deeper on that, not it's not just their meeting clients where they are today by having Anthos, mm -hmm. because I think that, that makes it feel like maybe Google's uh, taking a bit of a back step to meet customers where they are because they're not as advanced as Google. That's not the case at all, though. Yeah. Anthos is actually an extremely sophisticated reimagining of what computing can look like. Yes. Um, you know, this is a brand new platform that Google thinks is going to be such an integral part of the future of computing right. that they don't even say that you must run it in their environment. Yes. They're saying this is the future. We hope you run it in Google's cloud. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but. Run it where you please, because this is, these are the foundations of what the future of computing is going to look like. I mean, the, the long game is to actually accelerate, create a great degree of comfort and risk mitigation, uh, whether perceived or real, with any customer's huge ambitions right. to migrate to public cloud eventually, and especially the, you know, the, the bigger enterprise customers, not the startups we're talking right. about. This is directly in their wheelhouse, and it's like, how can we accelerate the on-ramp, like how can we shorten the time right. for the 90% of the data center that's still on-premise in the world to, right. to one of the public clouds, hopefully Google's, like that's their view. Right, and it, it's reflective of where the market's going as well, because we are not just seeing startups that are interested in these types of cloud-first technologies, mm -hmm. and this is the value I think in Anthos also, is there's a bridge now. You can be an established enterprise with your established enterprise investments in IT right. and still take advantage of the new wave of, of computing uh, that Google's uh, sort right. of ushering in yeah. by using something like Anthos. So yeah, it does meet you where you are, yeah. um, but it lets you do much more advanced things you, now. You leverage the so-called sunk costs. You don't right. have to, it's not throwaway hardware, exactly. it's not throwaway code. Um, no, that's that's super exciting. I never really framed it that way until we're talking. But yeah, App Engine Anthos. So um, aside from Anthos, I know we're making a big push, and and um, a lot of work is being done there. But uh, day to day, there's a lot of conversations outside of that. You know, your team, your organization will dive into how that's evolved. But you probably have more convers. You and your team have more conversations with more customers around their journey to GCP than probably just about anyone in the world. Sure. So, like, what are you seeing and hearing um, 
what makes customers choose GCP over other clouds? And a lot of your customers are have some level of investment in other clouds. Why don't we start there? I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, no, it is. Um, and, and that's changed over the last, call it, year or so. Um, you know, it used to be that we'd be in there almost, um, almost selling Google to people and, and trying to convince them as to why they should come use Google instead of maybe a workload they have on another cloud or what have you. Um, they're now coming to us and sort of talking to us about, hey, I'm doing this thing. Is there benefit to me doing that on Google? Um, and for new workloads, it's becoming the default. So clients aren't so much saying, can Google do this? They're saying, how do I do this in Google? I want to use Google technology for this. And I think that has a lot to do with the new features that Google's been rolling out, um, the fact they're not uh, scaring people by thinking they're going to be locked in to anything. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. But a lot of the things that Google has been attractive for in the past are becoming even more attractive today. And those two big areas are, I'll call it application infrastructure, um, that includes things like serverless, um, so that includes Cloud Functions, what Anthos is doing, everything, all the work around Google Kubernetes engine and, and all that good stuff. Um, that's one major bucket that we're seeing customers gravitate towards. The other major bucket is in terms of anything data and analytic related. Right. Um, you know, if customers need insights, they think Google.com, right? Sure. Uh, the most powerful way to get information that I know of. Yeah. And they think, you know, if Google's such a powerhouse of doing that type of work, of course they'd be able to do great things for my business as well, yep. uh, which they've proven so to be true. So BigQuery. BigQuery, Dataproc, uh, BigTable is something we're seeing a lot of uptick in, which is surprising because it's been around for a while. Right. Um, but it's an extremely powerful tool that we're seeing a lot of uptick in. Yeah, the point you made about uh, it being the default for new workloads, I mean, that's, it feels new to me. Um, and speaking with customers like your your good friend, uh, our good friend Aaron Brown at Mad Hive, mm -hmm. which is a two year old company, roughly, and the way he described it, and when we did this uh, podcast uh, with him as well, it'll come out soon. But it's like, yeah, so we got like some of the smartest engineers that we could find, MIT people, and so on and so forth, and we're like, so what should we build this on? And like it was right. basically a hundred percent consensus right. that they should build like ground up on Google Cloud. It's almost like there's a um, an understanding by the most um, demanding, critical, experienced engineers and developers and data experts and scientists, etc., that Google's just better. Yep, it's true. Uh, this is not only the perception that we're starting to see amongst, uh, to use a term our CTO uses all the time, nerds. Um, <laughs> and I say that in the most endearing way possible. So but, see, yes. Um, but yeah, nerds, I think, have always uh, been pretty clear that Google is technically the most sound uh, cloud. Yeah. And I think in a lot of cases, sort of the perception leads and then the reality sinks in. And in the case of Google... Um, the reality has been that it's been extremely it's been an extremely technical cloud platform almost since day one. Mm -hmm. um, now the perception is matching the reality, and and I think uh, the market, especially the customers we interface with, uh, are starting to not just think that oh some engineer on my team thinks that Google's a great cloud. They're starting to actually understand that there are tangible benefits that are coming from adoption of the cloud. This is a perfect segue because one of the things that and hearing you know Thomas Kurian talk about the strategy and him assessing the business and the success over the last couple of years, 
Um, also the barriers to their continued growth and hopefully domination of the space. He, he realizes that, you know, yes, there's a broad-based acceptance, and he believes, knowing everything he knows, being an oracle, et cetera, et cetera. Rob Ensler believe, uh, Enslin, I'm sorry. Um, I know, you know, yes, it's the best. But what's interesting about the enterprise business, the enterprise software business, is that um, if you look back far enough, there's been the best technology that's lost a lot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> just because you're the best doesn't mean that people will just buy right. and use and consume. And, you know, it's, it's almost like not a meritocracy. It's weird. Yeah. In consumer, it tends to be that way. And because Google has traditionally, prior to Google Cloud, a consumer, um, if you build it, they will come mentality. Right which has been true in ads and true at google.com and true in maps and true in Gmail, just been true so many times. They've had this sort of like uh, um, false premise, you know, five, six years ago when Google Cloud was really starting to take off that, yeah, actually we just, if we have the best, you know, Google Cloud platform is the best, enterprises will just use it. Yep. And so you're actually at that intersection <laughs> where, you're having these conversations, and even if they believe the be it's the best, and we know it's the best, there's a bunch of things we have to do right, and Google has to do right, for customers to actually start using it. Absolutely. And that's precisely the, the core function of your team. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you go from, we know it's the best, we love it, to like, okay, now how do we actually, you know, as a customer, um, start using it? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, it goes back to, you know, the, the sort of we believe statement that we came up with when we were forming this practice, which is all around that, you know, and I'll, I'll summarize it poorly probably, but, um, you know, the belief is that if you talk to people, you as an organization that are trying to do cool things in general, with or without the cloud platform, if you're working with people that, one, have done this before, two, live in that world and are passionate about that world day in and day out, you're just going to have a better experience and more success in, in Whatever, whatever endeavor you're attempting to do when it comes to the technology. Um, and so, you know, the TAM organization, one of the things that we're most focused on is being that trusted advisor to our customers, people who have done this before, both in their personal worlds. I mean, we have TAMs that come from Google, come from Google customers, come from Amazon customers and Azure customers. Um, and, and they've simply done this work before, both on the cloud as well as in those sort of third-party peripheral systems that support the cloud, CICD tooling, things like that. And it just enables these customers to feel that they can, I, I almost want to say take a risk, but it's not really a risk, but they can, they can change the way they do things. Mm -hmm. And that it's okay to change the way they do things because they have not just a hand to hold, but a bit of a safety net right. to ensure nothing will go dramatically wrong. And it's not just because, hey, trust me, I'm a pro, but no, no, I've done this before. And I can point to the reasons and places I've done this before. Yeah. I want to dive more deeply into technical account management services, which you essentially created here and are growing like tremendously. But even prior to when TAMs become enabled, fully enabled and the success of the customer for their lifetime is precisely driven by our, te our, our technical account management strategy, prior, let's talk about the first thing before, before we created TAMs, we had you know, cloud engineering. Right, which we still have. And we have it, and it's still part of every sale. That's right. So let's talk about the 
pre-sales engineering function. Like that actually is the first set of things we need to do to get a customer to sign and to start leveraging the TAM to begin with. And that's where we support them for their lifetime across all their workloads right. and ambitions and hopefully they grow forever. But how do you, like, the, the first step is like signing a contract and then putting a first workload right. in. So talk about that. How do you convince a customer who thinks is the best to sign a contract to not, you know, move at least one workload? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I credit our CEO organization very much for the work they do, the cloud engineering organization for doing the work they do, which is, you know, this is an area, when I, when I get to talk to a customer that hasn't yet adopted Google Cloud Platform, when I get to talk to them about the opportunity to do it, it's one of the things I get the most excited about. I mean, that, that's something I'm most passionate about, so I think how I ended up in this position, right? I mean, that, I love doing that type of thing. And so we hire people on our cloud engineering team that are equally passionate about just having the opportunity to share this thing they're very excited about with their customers. So it's one thing that you know, Google makes it easy on us by having such a strong product, mm -hmm. but we really have a team here who really loves going into organizations, digging deep into the problems they have, and looking for solutions that can, that can be found using the tool sets that Google provides to us. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I'm emphasizing the passion that our team has because I think that's a very important piece of it. And I think that passion becomes contagious. Like I, be, I, you know, I know that you can't sell any, you can't sell something you don't believe in. Right. I mean, that's it takes a very special type of person to do that. I'm not that person. We are not that organization. Right. Right. If we do, we don't believe it. We can't sell it. If we don't use it, we can't sell right. it. And we have to believe in it to use it. So, uh, but like, let's talk about the tactics. Customer wants to do it. What are the reasons? What are the top like two or three reasons that they want to adopt Google? whether or not they have another cloud uh, strategy in place or not. Yeah, so th those, those reasons have changed over the years. Um, I think in the early days of us doing the cloud business, it was a cost savings exercise or sure, um, savings. Op optimization exercise. And the benefits from that were, they existed, but they were minuscule. Today, we're seeing customers moving over for much more impactful reasons. Yeah, the, uh, on that point, I hate to cut you off because no. I love it when you get on the flow, but on that, that point's so important because no enterprise customer, even uh, a mid-sized customer, is going to completely shift the cloud strategy for a 5 or 10% savings. It's almost Just not, not even part of the conversation anymore. Why would they do it? Right. Doesn't make sense. That was the initial draw. That's not why. Correct. Let's get into why. Yeah, so, um, and again, it, so it started out with the cost savings. It moved to sort of smaller technical reasons, right? Like, I want to be one of the first people to leverage Kubernetes, but I don't want to be responsible for managing that myself, so let me take advantage of Google, who launches you know, a ridiculous amount of containers all the time. Surely they know what they're doing. And so you have a small technical reason. Where we are today, though, is there are business drivers that are causing our, our customers to move over to Google Cloud Platform. It's not about, I want this technical feature, that technical feature. It's the collection of those technical features have tangible outcomes for us. So I'll give a couple examples. Um, one is when it comes to data analytic workloads. Um, we have customers, um, customers that we interface with that need the most help are ones that maybe aren't even capturing all the data that they, they should be. Um, you know, I, I talk about all the time how data is probably one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable asset any business today has at their disposal. Um, and I also make the argument that Google Cloud provides more solutions to make sense, one, collect, and two, make sense of that data than anywhere else because, again, they've been doing that as their core comp for such a That's long right. time. So we see lots and lots of organizations are doing that, so we are able to help them use this tool set that Google gives them to make better business decisions based on the data that they can collect 
from you know whatever type of business from their users from what have you and it's allowing them to not just say we get to use this these cool new bells and whistles and look at us we're on Google and isn't that cool it's look at all these great outcomes we have oh by the way there's some really solid engineering behind it also um, and it becomes really meaningful the other example of course is around you know we keep talking about containerization and these types of technologies um, and I'll be the first to admit when that first started becoming part of the landscape I only liked it because of how technically cool it was. Right. Um, these were things that were really abstract, interesting you must concepts. Be a, you must be a nerd. Well, yeah. That's a, again, it's a term <laughs> of endearment. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but where we are today is a, a, an organization we will work with will adopt containerization not because it represents some type of new, um, which it does, it's not, but it's not just some new platform to compute on. It actually allows them to now get their product to market faster react right. to their customer needs quicker, Precisely. deliver a better experience. And it, that kind of used to be a thing we only saw in startups. We see it now even in the established enterprises, especially in the established enterprises, mm -hmm. because they want, to be, they want to be able to deliver that same type of first-class, born-in-the-internet experience. For their end customers. Exactly. Yep. You know, that's an existential moment it is, in yeah. an enterprise's evolution, to have that realization that if they don't do that, they will be disrupted. Correct. No, no traditional enterprise is safe. I don't care how big you are, how long you've been around. If you fail to do this, some upstart will come and completely disrupt how you do healthcare, how you do delivery, how you do engineering and design, how you provide any kind of product or service. Yep. The barrier to entry is so minimal now. Right. Right. There's an unlimited amount of uh, VC and private equity funding sitting on the sidelines, ready to go in any great idea that's going to transform a traditional industry. Yeah, and and the thing is too, you mentioned VC and like there's capital out there, which is sure that's important. Um, but this goes back to what I was just saying about data being as important as it is. Um, look at Uber, right? Massive, massive transportation company. They don't own cars; they own data. Mm -hmm. um, same can be said for Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. They don't own properties; they own data. Um, and so these disruptors, um, they're able to disrupt these massive establishments, you know, the, the Marriott's and, and the taxi companies of the yep. world, yep. not by having more capital than they do, but by not, and also not just by having more data than they do, because I'm sure if Marriott wanted to have more data than Airbnb, they probably could, yep. um, but by using that data yeah, better. They probably have it. It's like, well, but what are they doing? Exactly. With it? Where is it stored? Is it in silos? But it's not just the, the data. Obviously, that's critical. You can't intelligently make investment and strategic or product decisions unless you're really not only capturing the data but using it effectively but it's like the barrier to entry from a technology standpoint right like i don't care. for five thousand dollars a month you could do some immense amounts of compute yep. machine learning you can set up all sorts of infrastructure sort of in a poc capacity so yes there's tons of capital which is great because it means you can hire some great people right. if you're a startup. Mm -hmm. uh, you can even make, you know, big CapEx investments if you want. But the OpEx, you know, uh, uh, sort of, uh, I guess, model for the best technology in the world being available on demand, yep. there's like no barriers. Like Correct. It used to be that, you know, you had to be massive to afford supercomputing. You had to be massive to afford the ability to store lots of data Massive to do complex computations, right. you know, 
or predictive analytics. Right. <laughs> and now, like, anybody can do it. Right. And we, I think enterprises are understanding that, like, unless they become at least as good, if not better, than these upstarts, then their future is uncertain. That's right. And, and we're seeing that with our largest and smallest customers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, across our largest and smallest customers, we're seeing things like custom-built machine learning models. That would have been, even a couple of years ago, that would have been reserved for students at top engineering schools. Right. And now, and because the schools made huge investments in the hardware and the platforms and the specialists who knew how to use them, uh, now it's been democratized. Anybody can really access these things. and And for startups and enterprises alike, the costs almost always scale with the opportunities that come from them. And so you're not stuck in a place where I want to invest heavily in something that may marginally give me some value. No, usually your investment matches or, um, you know, it results in exponential outcomes. Right. No, um, it's, you know, that's, uh, I'm super passionate about what we do. Not only, I mean, I have geek tendencies. I wouldn't say I'm a nerd. I'm just, I don't qualify. I'm not technically you're selling yourself to be a nerd, but <laughs> definitely a geek. Um, and yes, I love the technology. I love being a user of it. I love how it empowers us and, and whatever, but what, I'm, what I really love about our business is that in these two broad-based buckets, which is the work transformation stuff, G Suite, Cloud Search, Chrome, right. etc., that completely transformed the, the way people work. Yep. GCP, Maps, and other services, completely transform how our customers go to market. That's right. Like, I love that these are the kinds of things that the you know, customers are talking about to you guys about. It's amazing, yeah. From the CE standpoint. Because right. you're actually solving business problems. You're not just solving technical problems. That's right. Problems. Right. It's changed a lot. And I, I, I reflect on my own time at SADA um, because, you know, when I started here, once I moved into the G Suite side of the world, mm-hmm. I was a CE helping customers solve the problems that their people faced every day. And these were mostly line of business workers and, you know, people, pretty much any employee the company had. Pivot to today, you know, helping customers adopt GCP, I'm still helping the way people do their job every day. Now, granted, some of those people are developers or administrators or architects, um, but we still have the, the ability to sort of impact these individuals in how they go to work every day and, right. and the products they can put out. And, and similarly, when we make the case that, and we had a meeting with a very established, you know, $45 billion organization Mm -hmm. a couple days ago and you know one of the reasons they want to adopt G Suite because they want to be an attractive place for information workers to work right one of the reasons I think the IT organizations of our customers want to adopt GCP is because they want to also attract the best 100% to go work there 100% they don't want to come in and work on old stuff right engineers will make a decision to work one place over another based on what type of technology stack they're working with and more and more, that's becoming skewed towards, you know, the Google stack. Um, you know, it's something that that students in school are having a lot of access to. Yeah. Um, people on their side projects are working in Google's cloud, and you know, when they have the opportunity to do that for a living, um, a lot of very talented nerds uh, will will jump at that opportunity. And I think what's great about our engagement model and business model, also with our customers, is that we're not uh, global global systems integrator, we're not a body shop, we're not an outsourcing shop. Right. Our whole model is actually going in there and um, not only bef- befriending the IT organization and the engineering organization, but empowering and enabling That's them. Right. Like, we're going to provide as much services as you need from a you know professional services standpoint, delivery standpoint, to 
enable enable you and make you super successful. Right. But at some point, like our success is going to be measured by how much we help you become independent from some standpoint right. in terms of like not always needing SADA engineers to do everything for you. 100%. And I think when engineering teams understand that, that they actually kind of they embrace our team. It's not like, oh, you're here to migrate a bunch of things and fire a bunch of people or no you're here to take over our job. Like it's, it's very, it's very different. Actually, I love that about our business right. model too, because we should be the engineering team's best friend. Right. hundred percent. We want to make people more effective at what they're doing. We want to give them the ability to do better things and more things at the time that they're going to get back from the automation and the help that we're able to give them. Right. We want to teach them how to be those internal advocates for the next best thing that's coming. Yeah, um, they can do higher level work. Exactly. We want to enable them to do that. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. It, it, it totally reminds me of the early G Suite days when, when we were having these conversations like the exchange administrators would be like, you know, they'd be like, well, we define them as server huggers. They'd be like, don't take these servers right. away. That's my job. Right. <laughs> it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Now they know we're going in there to actually get them out of the, the, the lower level work and make sure Google and our processes and configurations and uh, et cetera, you know, automate so much of those right. steps so that they're doing higher level work. They're exactly. writing code, they're pushing code. They're not worried about all the stuff in the middle. Exactly. And you know, in many cases, our, our, we're not going in there to say, step aside, let us bring you into the new world so that you can figure it out. It's rather, we're going to educate them, first of all, about why any of this matters. Yeah. And then we'll help usher them and let them be the champions internally to build this new culture of, you know, cloud first inside of their existing organizations. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the most rewarding things for our team to work on. So, so TAM is relatively new, but technical account management and now MSP, Managed Services, which we were a, a launch partner in this new program, right. super exciting, first in the world. Um, that has completely, I think, redefined our value proposition to the customer beyond the first step. Like beyond right. the pre-sales engineering, first workload, second workload, et cetera. And yes, of course, like I said, we'll go in there and do as much of the work as they want us to do or as little of the work as they want us to do. We're relatively agnostic when it comes to that. But again, the idea behind technical account management, uh, technical account management and managed services is that this is a customer for life engagement. Right. And... Can you talk about how those two things, maybe you know, either combined or, or separately, uh, completely change the value proposition to our customers? Yeah, I mean, one leads to the other. Um, I think by being that level of trusted advisor and being, um, I think the word consultant gets thrown around and can get turned into a dirty word, but in this case, truly being a consultant for the customer. And helping trusted them. advisor. Yeah, same, same, same. Um, <laughs> but uh, being that person fosters customers for life. Mm -hmm. This is, creates that because... Um, again, it all goes back to the fact that customers want to feel supported. They want to feel that they're not guinea pigs. They're not the first people to do this thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think, in, especially in the IT world, for many years, it's been uh, an environment where you just do the safe thing, and that's not going to get you fired. Right. Maybe it won't get you promoted either, but right. um, you're safe. Right. And I think more and more folks in the IT space, especially amongst our customers, they're willing to take that extra risk, but they're much more willing to do it when they know that somebody's there to catch them. And so that's the that's sort of the logic behind our technical account managers is they are and, and you know they're really 
they act like an extension of their customer. Right. They're, they're almost like a, another Same employee team. of the customer. Yeah. Um, because their job is to make sure what those customers' needs are are taken care of in the best way possible. And in some cases, that means pushing the customer a little bit to try new things and, and maybe go of beyond their, um, their area of expertise. But that's why we have them paired with the TAM. Because mm-hmm. that TAM can make sure that it, it's, a safe, it's safe to do those things and take those risks. Um, and, you know, our, I think our numbers show it that, you know, when customers get the experience and get to work with somebody that is, again, passionately interested in their best interests, this creates customers that are loyal to the platform, are loyal to SADA, and, and genuinely want to continue working with us. They don't feel like it's a strictly uh, contractual relationship. That's right. um, and in many cases, we end up being friends with our clients. I mean, you know, we... we Talk about non-work-related things sometimes. Um, yeah. it, it creates a really, really good cadence. Well, look, what we want most for our customers is for them as a company to drive more revenue, to innovate faster, to outmaneuver their competitors. We, we want them to win as, as a company. But companies are just, at the end of the day, collections of people. Right. So the people that choose to bet on Google and to bet on us at SADA, we actually want the best for them in their lives like absolutely. in their careers <laughs> absolutely well there's nothing we like more than watching our main points of contact get promoted yeah which is something that happens a lot it does uh which is which is really exciting because it's not just that oh we solved a technical problem or we're helping this business be more successful it's like that guy is going to have a way better birthday party this year you know yeah. um and, yeah. and that's exciting yeah now we love that for our people here at sada we, we love that for our customers i think that's the because look this is not necessarily the safest bet like the safest bet is to do nothing for short term right like like if you if you love status quo don't do this right but look there's plenty of customers who know that that is a path to obsolescence right <laughs> at this point they've realized that and you know there's still a bunch of people running around IT and engineering who have that modality of just like coasting and you know buy AWS because nobody gets fired if you buy AWS. Sure. Whatever. Or stay on premise because nobody gets fired if you stay on premise today for right now. Um, But there's a bunch of customers who are like career-defining moment, existential moment. Um, I can define and actually redefine my career and my role for the next decade by the decision I'm about to make. Exactly. If I choose the right platform and the right partner, Wow. Right. Exactly. And, and we love those guys. Yeah. And girls. And we I love working with them. Those individuals are much more, again, it goes back to they, they can take those risks if they know there's somebody in their corner. Right. Um, and we love being that, that support system, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's cool if you get to experience that and you get to take that risk in your career and make that jump. It's also very cool to watch lots of the people you work with get to do that uh, in aggregate. It's really awesome. And that's where I think managed services comes in too in combination with, with technical account management. It's really powerful. But you know, managed services is, again, was SADA's first real right. you know, runaway hit business back in like 2002, 2003 because it was a, a new model that didn't, didn't exist but made a lot of sense because it aligned incentives the right way and so on and so forth. But um, that is another layer of exceptional support technical support, um, uh, sort of escalation, product issues, just wrap around 360 safety net with with the customers, you know, 
over time, significant investment in the platform. Right. They want to know that we're there. And I think MSP defines that really, really well, that we Absolutely. are there. Not only is Google there, but we are there jointly. Uh, we can escalate maybe even better than customers can on their own right. by virtue of that alignment that we have with, with Google. And yeah, if you're going to make a, a career-defining move, you want to make sure you have 100%. managed services, that you have um, uh, a technical account manager you know, assigned. And you know, it's, it's, it's redefined. Like For a while, we're like, oh, we're moving these servers. Like We used to charge ser- you know, managed services for these on-premise servers, and now they're moving, and what does that mean? Actually, just because infrastructure is in, in the cloud doesn't mean it no longer needs to be managed. Right. <laughs> 100%. It still needs to be managed. Even more so in some cases. Yeah. Um, you know, I think th- this is a really exciting time to be in this space, especially in the managed services space. Um, and you've seen this twice now. Um, you saw sort of the invention of managed services. And I think we're at a point now where actually, we're changing what managed services means. That's right. Um, because I think, you know, in the early days of SADA, right, we were responsible for things that today we would think of as basic. Right. Um, is this server on? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, am I backed up? Am I doing these types of things? Yeah. And then, yes, when the cloud providers started moving in, the public cloud providers started moving in, a lot of those things sort of moved to obsolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not responsible for backups and things like that because your cloud provider handles right. that. But there's a new wave of things that need to be managed. And especially when we move into the world of um, things like serverless and even to a certain extent mm-hmm. Anthos and, and Kubernetes and that whole suite, um, it, it's not enough to simply say that, oh, the cloud platform is going to handle it. No. It's a mutual, it's sort of a shared model. Both parties need to participate. Um, what's exciting for us is that we get to, at least we're getting to right now, reinvent what that looks like in this world. And what we're finding is that there's a great ability to help customers automate so much of what otherwise would have required human beings. Mm-hmm. And so I'm finding that the role of the MSP in today's world is to continually, continuously push what we can do and what we can build to allow less uh, human touch in the event of, a, of an emergency, right? Le- yeah, sure. Less and therefore less emergencies. That's right. But also, like you know, one of the cornerstones of managed services in the on-premise world was being proactive. That's right. Right. It's not like oh, if it breaks, we'll fix it. That's a managed service. No, it's like. How do you prevent it from breaking in Absolutely. the first place? So you know all all this uh, sophistication and very advanced uh, infrastructure architecture configuration still needs to be monitored, 100%. ideally proactively, right? There's service level elements, there's key indicators you want to track, uh, stack driver and other things can can help customers do that because you do want to capture not service failure when it happens, but service degradation That's as right. it's happening. And I think that's the art and science of, of the balance because you want to catch things before they break. That's sort of the ideal scenario. 100%. Yeah, and that's, that's why, you know, the, I think we have a much higher level of touch with our customers than many others who are in similar uh, roles as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that very intentionally mm-hmm. because if we are so engaged with our clients, we're able to see those things before they become big problems. Right. We're able to identify trends or notice things that could eventually become an issue. That's right. And we're able to get ahead of those things and make sure that we're sort of pushing uh, in the right directions. And it all comes back to, you know, if you're responsible for having a very high uptime environment, you may be very unwilling to take risks and try new things. That's right. Um, that's why sort of this, this new wave of managed services and uh, to a certain extent the technical account managers are allowing for greater risk, and they're allowing for that, knowing that operationally things can continue to operate the way they need to. And 
those needs are getting much higher too. Um, you know, when was the last time you actually waited for a, a web page to load for more than two yeah. seconds? You, yeah. you don't. Expectations are changing. That's right. And even in enterprise software, that's you know, it's like everybody expects a consumer experience. That's right. Like it's instant. It works all the time. It's beautiful. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So looking forward, what are you most excited about? Let's say in the next, uh, you know, six to twelve months. Ooh, a lot. That's a good question. Um, I think the number one thing that I'm excited to see is just that we seem to be at an inflection point right now, where more and more clients are starting to adopt things that are cloud-native technologies, whether that's BigQuery or whether that's uh, Kubernetes Engine or whether that's uh, true serverless things. Um, we're starting to see, I think we're at that point where we're seeing now broad acceptance of those technologies. And it's making our team very busy, which is exciting. But I'm really excited to see you know, if we are having this conversation six months from now, all the things I can point to that our customers have done using technologies they maybe didn't even have in their environments 12 months ago. So that's probably Definitely. what I'm most excited about. I'm also excited about that you're you're actually putting TAMs and CEs in uh, our other geographies that we. Oh, that absolutely, we <laughs> absolutely, yeah. As I travel, you know, I, I visit our offices a lot. I was in Austin yesterday, and then Bay Area the day before. But I, I love going there and seeing all the new talent. And part of it is we have to have engineering talent as close to where our customers are as possible. It all goes to what I was mentioning, right? Like, we, we don't want to be, or actually, you made this point earlier, we don't want to be just a body shop. We don't want to just be, we, we, we don't want to have that kind of inhuman touch. Mm -hmm. And what better way to connect with your customers than to be with them and actually spend time at their offices and, and get to know them and work with them and you know, do, do a day in the life of an engineer that you work with. That's right. And uh, there's no way to do that without, without scaling regionally. And it's, 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 it's a fun time to be doing that. We're excited. Um, you've done a tremendous amount of work in the last eight years. I feel like we're still just getting started. Second inning. Yeah. Baseball reference. I know how much right. you love yeah, baseball. Even though I don't, I appreciate <laughs> I don't love baseball, but I appreciate the fact that you do. But Give me another eight years. I'll work on it. It's so <laughs> oh, eight years. Um, but uh, thank you so much. We'll do this again. And I know we're going to be super busy. And uh, it's good. You just came back from your honeymoon. So, yep. you know. Back to the grind. Back to it. <laughs> and uh, let's go do some hiring. I love it. All right. Thank, thank you, you, Tony. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.